0: So uh, Ronnie, over the course of the last year, like our guest today, I've I've tried to prioritize walking as just a regular area to give me headspace and uh, and finding times. Now it helps, by the way, that I've got a, a you know a year and a half uh, a puppy that's a year and a half old. Uh, who requires the walking, not the headspace? But, but, uh, but, Ronnie, as we as we get to welcoming our guest today, I'm, I'm curious for you, uh, what you do to create headspace?
1: Yeah, I'm certainly walking because, like you, I have a pup who is extremely energetic, and she is a little over a year old now. So um, she's usually kind of pulling me along on the walks, and I'm just along for the ride. Uh, but when I'm not doing that, Probably the biggest thing I do to clear headspace is go play basketball. Uh, in fact, if you had, if we had re- been recording this a week ago, I would have been on video with four stitches over my eyelid because of uh, someone's fingernail who poked me in the eye. So, uh, yeah, clears clears my headspace in a couple different ways, I guess. Yeah, I was gonna say
0: you actually you you got a uh, you got your head knocked around uh, a couple of weeks ago, so. Well, I, I do think Headspace is gonna come up as a part of our conversation today. And so with that, I wanna uh, say welcome to group GroupThinkers. Uh, to everyone, I'm your host Justin McCord. With me is uh, the stitched up Ronnie Richard, uh, and uh, and today, uh, today is is special for us uh, in a number of ways. and uh, and so we are, are delighted as a part of this podcast from RKD to welcome uh, Commissioner Ken Otter to uh, group thinkers. Commissioner,
2: welcome to the uh, welcome to the show, Justin, thank you so much. It's a delight to be with you too today. I've looked forward to this. And I have to say that in response to some of the interchanges that you've just had, you are both working far too hard when you take your walks. Having to look after a puppy it just complicates the whole process. When I walk, I'll go eight to 10 miles, just look at the sky, enjoy the breeze, look at the beautiful trees. That's the way a walk should be done.
1: Yeah. I, it sounds better. I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you.
0: In fact, I was a book that I read recently, a book on different stoic principles and And one of them was about prioritizing stillness. And the author made the point that when you, you know, when he goes on long runs or long walks, that he doesn't listen to music and that he does it solo and that his intent is to listen to the sounds around him, to listen to the leads, to listen to the wind, that there's something about to truly want headspace, then, you know,
2: why are you filling that with noise, right? Yep. Absolutely right. I can understand that. Of course, in my case, when I walk, I I do a lot of praying. That is a marvelous opportunity for me to look back on my week, see how God has blessed the work that I've done, how I've been challenged. And it helps me to set my agenda for the days to come in terms of my own ministry. So, yeah, I agree with you. If you're going to go take a walk, really focus on the walk, focus on the things around you, that makes all the difference. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Commissioner Hodder, we're thrilled to have you as a, a part
0: of our program, and, and we're currently in a series of conversations on group thinkers just around the ideas of leadership, and we're trying to peel back this onion one piece at a time and and understand uh, from di- different people's life experiences and perspectives how how they have been formed as a leader, and so we're really excited to unpack that with you today. And just as we get our conversation going, I would love to understand from your perspective as a a sixth generation salvationist, some of the greatest lessons that you've gleaned through your family history and your childhood travels that have helped prepare you for
2: your role within the uh, Salvation Army today. Oh, that's that's a terrific question. I think there are two things that come to mind. The first is in terms of, This being a part of my family heritage, in the Salvation Army, we do travel a great deal. Whenever the Salvation Army calls, they'll say, congratulations, you're on your way to X. And it can be anywhere in the world. And I think what that has done for my family over the years, and certainly in my own case, is that it has always made the location of the family home, regardless of where that might be. We are not tied to any geographic location, although, of course, we all have our favorite places in the world. But whenever you're able to say, when I'm with the family, I'm home, that builds some strong bonds uh, with your parents, with your siblings, with your children. So I consider myself blessed in that regard. I guess the other thing that comes to mind is, although it has been six generations, I think one thing I've learned is is that the call to minister or the call to serve is always an individual one. It's not a legacy call. I don't serve because my parents did. I serve because God called me. So you at the same time are more appreciative of family, but also more conscious of the way in which you yourself have been called by God to serve his purposes. You mentioned the idea
0: of the call and and one thing that we find to be more common than people give credit to is that working with nonprofits in general, whether or not someone is approaching it from a faith-based perspective or not, is that there's almost always a calling. Many times folks don't set out on a path to this is what I'm going to do. They find themselves all of a sudden in a space to where they can reflect back on it and see it as a call. And I appreciate that, that when we're working in the types of ministries that we are, that connection point to thinking about something as a calling can truly be powerful into the way that we approach the work that we do. And so I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. One of the calls, not necessarily the calling, but one call that you received as a part of your appointments and your officership before you were appointed as chief secretary in the Kenya territory, Talk about that experience and what Living Abroad did and what serving internationally versus serving maybe domestically, how
2: that has helped form your perspective on leadership. Uh, That's another terrific question. My wife and I uh, came to uh, believe that God had called us to serve in the Army in 1986. So after training, we were commissioned in 1988. But it was in 2005 that we got a phone call, as you often do in the Salvation Army. And they said, Congratulations, majors, you're on your way to Nairobi. Now, we happened to be living in Portland, Oregon at that time, did not expect such a call at all. But the years that we spent in Kenya, we spent eight of them there, four in Nairobi and four in a little village called Kakamega, were among the most meaningful and delightful of our service. I think we learned a number of things. The first thing we learned was that wherever you are, you need to buy into that place. Buy into it completely. Because if you ever go into it thinking, well, I'm just here temporarily, or I can show you how it's done, you will not succeed. You have to convince yourself and by extension, the people with whom you're working, that you are totally committed to their location and to what their needs are. That's the key to success. The other thing I think I learned was that one should never seek to teach when you go internationally, that one should always seek to learn. I recall in my first few days in Nairobi, I was convinced having read all the literature that I knew exactly how the Salvation Army's work should develop in Kenya. And I got out a big map and I said, all right, we're going to go here, 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 and here. And the people around me who were were all native to Kenya said, "Uh, Colonel, that will never work. I said, why not? All the demographics say that we can go here. The financial capabilities are there. And they said, you don't grow. Like a frog, you grow like red ants. And I had no idea what they meant until they explained that a frog will jump from place to place, but never remember where it's been. Where by contrast, a red ant will go out, find a good place, come back and tell his friends, and it'll create a path to it, which creates another base from which to grow. That's brilliant, by the way. Which is brilliant, which is absolutely brilliant. So I was totally wrong. They taught me an entirely different way of doing it, and it turned out to be incredibly fruitful. So when you serve outside of your own culture, be dedicated to learning. That's so well said. I've done
1: some traveling in my time in Europe and Costa Rica and Mexico and various places outside of the U.S. And one of the things, uh, certainly always I focus on learning about the culture and the people and and... And I'm always struck by both the differences and the similarities that we all have, and you know, you don't often hear enough about the similarities. And so I've been thinking about this, in a sense, we're all just one giant community in the role you're in as national commander in 2020, you were chosen and appointed to that. And now you're in charge of this community. And all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden the pandemic hits. Just can you take us through that time a little bit of coming into that role and the challenges
2: that came right out of the gate with that and how you handled that? Sure, sure. Happy to do so. We arrived here in July of 2020 in the midst of what was for everyone a very difficult time, but for the people we serve, a time that was for many of them unprecedented, not since the depression had the people that we serve who are at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder face the kind of situation that they did. But I think the lesson that I learned most was that if God sets you on a stony path, he's going to give you strong shoes. And really, I found that in so many different ways. People rose to the occasion. Uh, We did so as a nation, and certainly we did so uh, as a Salvation Army. Across the nation, people were coming through drive-through Of food distribution lines. Most of them never imagined they would ever come to the Salvation Army for assistance. They thought they would just be dropping money in the kettle uh, their entire lives. And here they were getting food from the Salvation Army. So I knew that we were going to be able to do it. I knew that it was going to make an impression upon people. So I was more conscious, and my fellow leaders were more conscious of the responsibility that we had to serve consistent with our history and our legacy and with the immediate need that we saw. I think the other thing that I learned was that in the midst of all the social tumult uh, of those years, of all the dislocation, of all the questions that were raised about who stands for what and uh, how should that impact the way you approach it, I think I learned that appreciation and compliments should be reduced by tenfold, and criticism uh, should always be taken with a grain of salt, that one should stick to one's mission, that one should always remain true to what you believe you're called to do, and that in the end, that's what's going to see you through any sort of a situation that you face. The Salvation Army has been blessed by wonderful people working at the front line who have been subject to all sorts of questions uh, over the course of the past couple of years, but they've stayed on course and they've stayed on target and the Lord has blessed it. Commissioner,
0: you're, uh, you're surrounded by people that are filled with purpose. And as a leader, I can imagine that that is a tremendous blessing. It might also add a different layer of tension at times because everyone is so... Purpose-filled, which can sometimes translate into emotional decisions versus rational, and, and and yet you have you have been appointed and called into this role to lead and are doing it very effectively and admirably from our position. So that you know, uh, as a, a partner for the Salvation Army in, in many ways, I'm curious as as you're in this role now as national commander and still faithfully serving as you have for much of your your career, who are those people that you now reflect on as mentors that have shaped you and the approach that you take
2: in your your position that you serve in today? Mm, That's a terrific question. As I look back on my life, I guess there would be three people who have really had an impact on me. One is my father. My father, who came to this country from England after World War II, England was a devastated nation and he came here knowing that there was a better life uh, in this country. He came, he worked as a taxi driver and as, he worked as an ice cream a soda jerk in a, a small diner. He worked from the ground up. So, I admire him deeply for his perseverance and his courage. And he also led me to a faith in Jesus Christ. So he was foundational to my understanding of myself and my own faith. The second person, I suppose, would be a gentleman by the name of Peter Chong, who was my training principal after I left the practice of law and entered Salvation Army Training College. He was an officer from Korea. And he helped me to understand that the world can be divided up into compartments but it's best viewed as a whole that an individual is spiritual and physical and social and psychological that if you approach individuals as total persons you're going to have a much better opportunity to really connect with them the third person would be an elderly kenyan officer by the name of hezekiel and who taught me wonderful things about leadership. He taught me things like bottlenecks are always at the top and that when you are criticized, you should be happy because it means that someone's ready to take over for you when you retire. Things of this and just he had a wonderful way of expressing these fundamental principles. He told me on one occasion that when the elephants fight, it's the grass that gets trampled. That those sorts of things stick in my mind and still inform the way I try to lead today. Those are some brilliant sayings.
1: I absolutely love that. Commissioner, as you're as you're so we just, you know, we kind of reflected back on some leaders and mentors who've shaped you over the years. As you're thinking forward, um just kind of thinking what what do you want your legacy to be? What do what do you want people to remember? About you and is there 20, 30 years from now telling
2: similar anecdotes? What do you want to be known for, I guess? Oh, that that that's a, a, a fine question. I don't want to be known for success. I don't want to be known for prominence. I would simply prefer to be remembered as someone who is faithful. The Lord never speaks of success. The Lord only speaks of serving faithfully. And if that's what people remember of me, if that's what my family remembers of me, that will be great so far as I'm concerned.
0: Commissioner Hodder, I really think Ronnie and I would want to continue this conversation for the rest of the day and and mainly because we keep jotting down things that you're saying as idioms and phrases and little soundtracks that, that we want to carry with us that you are filling our cup up as a part of this conversation.
2: And we're so thankful for your time as a part of this. Well, listen, it's a great pleasure to talk with the two of you today. The Salvation Army is so grateful, not only to the two of you for the GroupThink podcast, but certainly to RKD. You help us to convey what the Army is to the public and the public responds to that. I believe that the Lord is blessing it. So I do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you do to help us.
0: That is too kind. And we are very appreciative on behalf of RKD and Summit Marketing and the entire RKD family. Commissioner, we we don't talk about this a lot, but we see it as our high calling to take up the high calling of those that we serve. And so that includes the Army. And so so our opportunity to do that through our work brings great purpose and meaning to us. So please know that and how much we enjoy it. the partnership and how much Ronnie and I have enjoyed spending time with you today?
2: I've enjoyed it enormously. I owe you lunch. Please come by National Headquarters whenever you wish, and uh, we serve a great meal. Love to have you. We uh, we would look forward to that. We'll make that happen. Great. So, Thanks so nuts. much, guys. Thank you.
0: And and if to our listening audience, if you want to check out additional episodes of the podcast, you can do so on Arcades website as well as through our social media platforms. You can listen to it. You can watch it. Be sure to check out other episodes. So look at rkdgroup.com to see a full list of those. And uh, and with that, we'll, uh, we'll close up shop on this episode. Again, our appreciation and thank you to Commissioner Kenneth Potter, National Commander of the Salvation Army. We look forward to seeing you all down the road. See you next
2: time. Thanks, guys.
1: Group Thinkers
0: is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind the Group Thinkers, Suzanne, Ronnie and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. We'll see you next time. See you down the road.